going down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, leave that city. Well, hey there and howdy. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Your Other Side of Texas. I'm Jay West Texas Leeson. Glad to be along with you. You got some thoughts you want to text into the program as we broadcast live from the Racer Car Wash Studios, 806-745-5800. Big show ahead of us, Chris Level, Red Raider Sports, going to break down the University of Texas versus Texas Tech. I believe the game, the kickoff, 6.30, Jones AT&T Stadium on Saturday. Dress warmly, my friends. And then, Kel Seliger, the state senator Amarillo, all the way down to Midland, has found himself with a newfound power. We'll just put it that way, get into it here in just a moment. Uh, He'll join us coming up about half an hour from now. Racer Car Wash, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop in the one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around, guaranteed. That's at racerwash.com. You know, last night I was talking on the program, just going through all the aftermath of Tuesday night. Of course, the Texas House has 150 members, and there were 12 Democratic gains in the House. And for something to pass in the House, like, oh, say, a new speaker, it's got to have 76 votes which means that now the Democrats only need nine Republicans to go along with them. That changes the dynamic. But the dynamic was a little bit changed in the Senate when two of the most conservative, quote-unquote, look, for me, conservative, this is an important distinction. This is an other side of Texas moment here. Conservative, to me, has a derivative of conserve. That's Let's do some exegesis for just a moment conserve in so much of what I see and the reason people will say well Leeson's not a conservative I'm not their kind of conservative that does anything but conserve a place I want a conservatism that not only embraces traditions and values I want one that whenever I vote for it, I'm not voting against the economy of my place. That would be nice, after all, to maintain one's place for posterity. And we've jumped in. Too many Republicans have jumped in with a brand of conservatism that does anything but conserves. Um, It comes at great cost. And I can go into that further. It's a monologue for another time. Uh, I think Brandon Darby's doing the show with me tomorrow. We can talk about that, riff on it a little bit. But two of the, not what I call conservative, but lots of mass media calls conservative, members of a 31-seat Senate lost, making it harder, as Ross Ramsey said yesterday, for the lieutenant governor to get to 19 votes there in the Senate. Kel Seliger has stood, and I think you'll hear him say here coming up, that he's going to maintain where he was. He's going to be a swing vote, and they aren't going to be able to stop him. 
uh, it's going to be interesting to hear Kel Seliger coming up. So last night I was talking about Kel Seliger get off air, and I see the Dallas Morning News. Lauren McGahey does a great job. Dallas Morning News puts up a new piece, and it's called Democrat. The title is Democrats flip two Texas Senate seats, creating key GOP swing vote in the process. And there's a picture of Kel Seliger. Dateline Austin. Democrats flipped two Texas Senate seats on Tuesdays in victories that may change the chamber's tone and even shift its priorities. Policy priorities. Nathan Johnson became the first Democrat to represent Dallas uh, in 30 years. His Dallas district Beverly Powell, a developer and former school co- school trustee, flipped Wendy Davis's old Tarrant County seat that was held by Connie Burton. They beat two of the Senate's most quote-unquote conservative members, Huffine, Don Huffines, a developer, uh, billionaire with his family's car dealership, and Connie Burton, a Tea Party Republican. Under Lieutenant Go- Governor Dan Patrick's leadership, Patrick, again, I'm trying to talk about this in 101 terms. Patrick is not a senator. He was a state senator. He's now the lieutenant governor who presides over the Senate. Under Patrick's leadership, the state Senate or Texas Senate has moved further to the right. Issues like sanctuary cities and bathroom bill were priorities. And Senate Democrats, already in the minority, saw their power further diminished by an often unyielding GOP supermajority. But after Election Day, Democrats are now one vote away from breaking the Republican grip on the upper chamber. Their wins Tuesday night handed a key swing vote to the Senate's more collaborative members, Republicans who have been willing to work with Democrats to buck Patrick on immigration policy school vouchers, and questions of local control. Um, Patrick called the election results a big win while lamenting the defeats. Quote, We lost some great senators tonight, Connie Burton and Don Huffines, but we gained three new strong conservative senators, Patrick said in a late election night statement. I'm anxious to get back to work for the people of Texas and I'm thankful and humbled by their support. Um, goes down, and I'll just get to the point right quick. Um, now, as a result of the election, 19 Republicans and 12 Democrats in the Texas Senate, um, the numbers are significant because the Senate voted to change its rules in 2015 to require three-fifths of the members, which would be uh, 19. Uh, but now with just 19 m- Republican members, it takes just one Republican to side with Democrats to kill a bill. So who might that maverick be? Texas politics watchers all point to one man. Kel Seliger. That one man be up with us, but first we're getting to our man Chris Level. Going to talk some Texas Tech UT game coming up, and he's going to break it down for us. Going to ask him some basketball questions. Look like we're 
world beaters again out there on the courts. Chris Beard, stick right where you are about 90 seconds from now on your other side of Texas. How they ride it out through the dust and drought till you live in a prairie. On the phone now, as he is with us on Thursdays, breaking down what's going to go down this weekend at Jones AT&T Stadium. He is Chris Level, Red Raider Sports. How you doing, Chris Level? Well, I'm doing all right. I, I sure wish I knew what was going to go down on uh, Saturday night. I certainly didn't uh, know what uh, what was going to go down last Saturday night. Uh, that, that was a crazy night there, for sure. You know, some of the... The off-field controversy is the empty stands. And here's my take, and you tell me what you think. But the place emptied out pretty good about halftime. Level, it was the first, you know, I always say we're on the edge of the Great Chihuahuan Desert and the the Great Desert, uh, I'm sorry, the Desert and the Great Plains. And right there on the cusp of that, Boy, it can get a little warm in the afternoon, and then in the nights, you'll regret it if all you did was wore a jacket. I see a lot of jackets out there. I think that's what you attribute to the the stands kind of sparsing out. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. You know, I, I don't – I'm, I'm like a bad person to ask about, like, the some of the goings-on other than what's <laughs> on the field during the game. I just get focused on other stuff, but I know that people – they go out into the parking lot and kind of enjoy themselves a little bit uh, with a, with a with a beverage or three, uh-huh. you know, and uh, that, that's just part of the deal. But it was chilly. I will tell you that. I uh, I will admit to uh, uh, not being uh, as warm as I needed to be too. I will not make that same mistake uh, this weekend. Uh, speaking of mistakes and games, um, what happened? We just attribute well, this to Bowman last week. Well, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, this is a case of, uh, you know, we're just going to wonder what if. I mean, that's what's frustrating is that you, you play a really good first half and I think you come out hot and you start fast and defense is making some plays and, you know, you, you go in the locker room at 31-28, but then uh, we, we know how it ended. And, and I think that the, the, the other tricky part is, is that Bowman, you know, came out of that locker room thinking that he was going to play and it just started warming up. And, and I think, I was about 10 feet away from him, and it just something wasn't right, and he knew it. And so that that's when it alters everything. And I think it just took a while for uh, Duffy and Cliff to kind of figure out, okay, how, how do we want to do this when, when you just not much time to even think about it or prepare for it. And, yeah. and, and plus, plus, Oklahoma's really good. I mean, that's – I don't know how good they are on defense, but, but that offensive line and that quarterback are a nightmare. And – uh, you know, it was a matter of time kind of before they got going, and that running game just kind of started leaning on you a little bit, and, and, and we know how it ended. And you fought and, and all that, but it just it just wasn't quite enough. Dakota Allen, tell us, uh, Dakota Allen, linebacker, where is he right now? He, uh, he tried to play last week and then played for, I think, part of or most of the first quarter. And then he uh, he injured uh, like a muscle I think on the behind his knee that they could not get uh, get right and so they just didn't feel like this was a bad matchup to try to put him in there trying to chase this quarterback that's faster than everybody on the field mm-hmm. and I think that you know maybe a liability and don't want to get him to hurt it further don't you know just just multiple uh, reasons right there why you don't put him back in there 
He also had a broken hand. He's got a broken hand that he entered, injured at the tail end of that Iowa State game. Then you can play with that. It's just kind of clubbed up. I mean, you can't you can't use that hand much. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a knee that kind of kept him out. I would not rule him out for Saturday just yet. But I mean, it, that's that's very touch and go on whether he'll be able to play this Saturday or not. And if not, it's it's Jordan Brooks and Rico Jeffers, which is what we saw most of the game uh, on Saturday. Uh, Chris Level, Red Raider Sports. As we go along, you can follow along with him at Chris Level on. Twitter, um, I did not, on election night, before we jump into Texas, I did not go to the game because I need to sit and watch the results. Uh, not because I need to, but because I want to. And so I didn't go to the game. The boys went with grandmother and uh, came home. They're nine, and they're really into, they almost, like whenever I told them Zaire Smith was leaving, they were like, he can't leave. He's not graduated. And I had to explain <laughs> that to them. And, um, Anyway, but they came home, and they also are learning new terms. And he's like, the first play of the game, they threw the ball up, and then this big, tall man dunked it. And so they, they're getting their first fill of Tariq. Um, that's going to look like – we were picked, what, number seven in conference? Did you roll your eyes when you saw that? No, I mean, I, I think people need to understand that this is uh, – I mean – this will be a grind uh, for a little bit. They're they're going to play competitive basketball. They've still got lots of things to try to figure out. This is a it's going to be a brutal league as it always is, and and there's a lot of these teams that have a lot of pieces back, and and you're you're just one of those that it's going to have to incorporate a lot of new pieces. It doesn't mean that you'll finish seventh, but I understood it. Uh, I you know I, I think that you know hopefully we get to a point where there's not even a thought that you would put Tech in a, in a preseason poll at anything past uh, fifth uh, going forward, and you're getting really close to that, I think, uh, as you start to build this thing. But, yeah, this, this is going to be, you know, I mean, they, they have tough games, uh, Jay, from, you know, you, you look at a week from this coming Monday and Tuesday, they'll be in Kansas City that Monday and Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, and they'll have two very tough tests there as you try to get all these pieces working together. But, uh, yeah, Tariq is, is going to be fine. Mooney's going to be fine. I just, I guess what I'm ultimately saying is, Keenan Evans was really good. Yeah. I mean, Zaire uh, Smith was really good. And it, it's a testament. I'm not trying to, to tell you that this, this group may not be as good. I just I guess I'm trying to tell you how good that group was last year. That, that was special. It's a, it's a great league. And I mean capital great league whenever you have an Elite Eight team that's ranked number seven the following year. That's, uh, that speaks to the power of the league. Let's talk about Texas. Uh, what do you make of Texas? How do you think we're going to match up? Well, you know, I, I do think Jet Duffy is going to start this game. I think it'll be his game. And, and uh, you know, defensively, Texas has struggled in the last couple of weeks. It's been interesting in that I think that coming into the year, everybody thought Texas would have one of the better defenses in the league. And, and they've got a defensive coordinator named Todd Orlando that does a great job and, and all that. And they, they've struggled in recent weeks. They gave up. You know, 38 points there at Oklahoma State uh, in Stillwater and lost that game. They give up 42 points to West Virginia and Austin last week and lose that game. And so defensively, they're just not – they're not making a lot of plays. They're not creating uh, turnovers or anything like that. They'll come in here a bit banged up. You know, Texas uh, Tech is not the only, uh, you know, team dealing with the, the injury deal. I mean, Brecklin Hager, probably their best defensive player, may not play uh, on Saturday. So – 
you, but, you know, again, you're dealing with a quarterback that's somewhat inexperienced and trying to figure this thing out, too. And so hopefully Duffy just has a – he's had a good week of practice, hopefully, and they have a good plan together, and he'll just have to execute. I'm, I'm anxious to see what it looks like with him with a full week of practice and a start at home because the only other start that he's had was TCU. And, and at that time, TCU was very healthy on defense, and they were salty and fast, and, and that, that was a bit of a different deal. So he'll have some chances. And then Sam Ellinger, the, the quarterback for Texas, I mean, he's starting to figure it out. So it's kind of role reversal. They, they were thought to kind of struggle on offense and, and be kind of this team that, that didn't score a lot of points, and now they're scoring. And he's throwing the ball well. He can run it. And so, yeah, it, it's. but I expect a very close game. I would be shocked if one of these teams was able to run away from the other. And they're both coming in with, uh, uh, with uh, two-game losing streaks. So both of them will be hungry. Yeah, uh, Level, here's what it seems to me, and I don't mean this critically. It's just an observation. Um, Duffy's just not very accurate whenever he throws. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe maybe you go back and you look at some 90s tape and figure out some Zebby Lethridge offense for Duffy. <laughs> yeah, well, he uh... – I think Jet's problem is that I think that, you know, Cliff talked about that. I'll talk with him about it again tonight, but Cliff kind of talked about that, and Jet is aware of this, that when he he tucks it and runs, he's very dynamic, and and he can make some teams pay. We've seen him really, you know, punish teams with his legs. However, if you dial that up too much and you lean on that aspect of what you're doing too much – then, then it's not it's not near as effective, it's not near as useful, and I think that he also is very robotic as he goes through his reads and and things like that when he's trying to throw it. What he's got to do is he just got to get a lot more comfortable and trust himself and trust his receivers. I think he made some of those mistakes early and threw some interceptions. I think he's a little gun shy at times on on pulling the trigger because he doesn't want to make a mistake. But he's got to get back to how he played in high school. You know, and, 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 and freelance maybe just a little bit, but he can't always just panic and, like, tuck it and say, okay, I'm going to outrun these guys that are chasing after me because, as we saw versus TCU, he, he's, you know, they're too, they're too fast and athletic at this level of ball, and you're not going to be able to outrun these guys. Yeah, so maybe you go back, look at some Zebby film, but also some Mansfield film. That's uh, that may Yeah, be Mansfield, that. yeah. Yeah, because they're going to throw it. I mean, I think that – you know, but back when Spike was here, they, they, there was not, there was no such thing as a short, controlled passing game. And I think that when you, what you have here is that they can, they can create some throws that are easy for him to get him in a rhythm, just like what we saw with Allen at the beginning of the game last week. You get in a rhythm, and then you get that defense cheating up. Then you start taking shots down the field, and you'll, you'll be amazed at how you don't have to be as accurate at that point when they're cheating up, trying to play those runs or short control passes and then then it should open up but that that's in a perfect world but that that would be what cliff would would likely draw up do you think what vegas is i note that um vegas has us down uh, just two point dogs just two point dogs to a team that not very long ago when texas was in the top 10 uh, they have struggled of late uh you think they attribute that number to duffy being able to succeed against the texas defense at this point well, I, th- I think that Tech may have even been a slight favorite had Bowman been a, a the quarterback. Oh, yeah. I think that the uncertainty of the co- or the quarterback situation pushes Tech into the be, being a bit of I mean Texas, excuse me, into the bit of a favorite. Um, but I, but I do think where Vegas is right is that I think this will be a thirty four thirty one, a thirty eight thirty four 
27-24 type of games. I really think this will be a very close, grinded-out game. And, I, again, as I said, I just don't think either team will, will be able to run away from the other. Uh, that, w- that would surprise me a great deal. And, and this is senior day for this uh, a bunch of Tech guys, 26 of them. And, and you know, they don't want to go out without having won a big home game here this season. Yeah. Uh, so 62 is the over-under. I'm over. Where are you? Yeah, I'd maybe go slightly over, but I think you could probably talk. I mean, again, I mentioned to you the scores that I kind of think it'll it'll hover around. I just hate rooting for the under, so I'd probably go over too. Okay, because well, if you were <laughs> if you were gonna if you're gonna go at me on it, then uh, we were gonna bet some Rudy's barbecue. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, I almost would never ever just out of principle bet the under on anything, just because. You know, the overtime, you never know things that get away from you, man. It's yeah. always much more fun to root for points scored. And they, they can get away from you at Jones Stadium for sure. Uh, speaking Absolutely. of Rudy's Barbecue, Chris Levels got his coaching show right after the show. You can jump over 97.3. He'll be there with Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I'm about to have Kel Seliger on, state senator out of Amarillo. And I think I'll be interested to see uh, – how he responded to some questions. You probably have some good questions for Cliff. I watch Cliff, and I think maybe he does have a political future, the way that he handles some of these questions. <laughs> well, yeah, co- coaches are very smart. They they some, and at some times of the year, they're, they're a little more open than others. But, yeah, you, you, you're careful with what information you release. You know it can be used against you, not just – in the media, but if you say something wrong, the other team uses it, or you know, and sometimes you're talking to the media, and you're you're really maybe talking to one of your own players or something, uh, you know, by what you say or don't say. So there's there's always kinds of messages and reasons why coaches uh, handle the media the way that they do. And one more thing, um, I had got this question earlier: how many how many UT fans do you think will travel? How many UT fans do you think we'll see in Jones Stadium this weekend? Uh, there'll be some. I'm sure that there's some that live here in town. Uh, but, yeah, there'll, there'll certainly be some uh, that, that show up for this game. Three? That's just kind of part Three? of it. Three? Five grand? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say that's probably maybe a little uh, little high, but that, that's possible on something like that, yeah. I w- you know, we just, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and schools like that, they've got they've got a, a large fan base. There'll be a segment uh, that's certainly here. Yeah. Uh, go buy Academy and um, get you some of that gear. Uh, Chris, <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I got, I got you in the middle of that one. Hey, uh, what I'm in the middle of, I want you guys to go check out Red Raider Sports. Um, my hand, it's called a handle, right, at Leeson TTU. We can hang out there. Chris Level, as always, thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again. All Thanks, right. Jake. All right. Uh, have a good evening. Chris Level there signing off on uh, this, this episode, at least. And, uh, man, that basketball team. I'm getting pretty fired up about, you know, I'm an Abernathy guy. We weren't ever good at football whenever I was younger. So uh, I love me some basketball. I love me some Red Raiders. Hey, we're going to get into a quick break. Great must-listen-to radio here uh, coming up with uh, Kel Seliger. And uh, just stay locked in. It's going to be something worth listening to. There's not, not a bigger mag- maverick in the legislature, at least one that's willing to engage it 
like a happy warrior that he is. Kel Seliger coming right up here on the other side. We'll go take a quickie break, make a little money, be right back with you. I've got all of Louisiana There's always a teller where I've been I'd like to kill that dirty dealer Glad to have those guys on the program. A couple of texts to get into and uh, yeah, no, my kids did not. Um, Kelly asking, my kids did not go to the game. I think I brought, may have brought it up a mention enough time i would have went and spent an lpnl bill at the um stadium clothing shop had my kids gone to the game and they were dressed like i was uh i was freezing but stayed until the end stayed till we sang the school song fight song and then um went on to one of the only traffic jams there are in lubbock and that's at uh, big high profile texas tech games Kel Selger going to join us here in just a bit. Um, you know, I'm tracking down something that I'm going to write about, and I've mentioned to you that a lot of Republicans right now who lost on Tuesday night were following Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott's campaign's models. And my understanding is that on Friday morning, have you seen the Hitler video that people go in, they write the Hitler movie where he's freaking out? A bunch of Republican consultants get together who are working in against Democrats in general campaigns, and they have this big powwow and begin to look through the numbers, and they're finding that they're off 10 points, that Abbott was supposed to be up 10. He's coming in, I'm sorry, supposed to be up 20. He's coming in lower five ten points and and that's beginning to have some impact down ballot and uh kind of uh, well what's been described to me as a shouting match emerges out of that conference call and they began to find the beginnings of what we would all learn on tuesday night that that there were bad numbers out there and there were bad assumptions out there and a lot of fingers being pointed at the governor i'm not saying this to take a dig at the governor i'm telling you we're all wondering what happened blue wave purple wave a blip uh something that i i kind of give credence to the idea that i don't want to say it's a blip but i'm saying it's um probably not is democratic as you might have thought because a bunch of votes were put in um, a bunch of political campaigning effort and some of these people have it down to a science was was off by five to ten points somebody who's not been off he won his primary in a landslide i'm kidding um <laughs> by like a quarter point against two opponents he is Kel Seliger out of Amarillo, somebody we enjoy on this program. Uh, Uncle Kel Seliger, <laughs> uh, how you doing? I'm good. How are you today? Uh, let's uh, start this off with a couple of questions, not about you, but involved. Okay. Okay. Let's say that there is, and there's not, I don't think, but let's say that there's a Christmas exchange in the Senate, of which you're a member, 31 members, and also Dan Patrick to make it even gets thrown in to the exchange and you have to spend $20 or less 
and you draw Patrick's name, what do you get Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick for Christmas? I send him a box of Susie's South 40 chocolates made in, in Midland. They're just absolutely fabulous in quality and one of, uh, of Texas' great entrepreneurs. And um, that's it. Okay. So you would just send him a gift from, from Midland there? Yeah, from the district. Okay. Well, that was that's you're pretty good at your job there, Kel Selger. I thought I might get something better out of you on that. Um, <laughs> chairs, here's here's the prevailing knowledge. Chairs in the Senate uh, come in chairs in a lot of places, but in, I mean all sorts of state legislatures and, and federal level too. Chairs can come with conditions. The prevailing knowledge in in Texas is that chairs in the Senate come as favors that will be repaid are you seeking a chair in the senate oh, yeah but i'm seeking the chair that i hold now which is that of higher education uh, community colleges and universities okay because there are murmurs out there that that you will make it known that you won't be under anybody's thumb this legislature no, and, and, and I think I've performed in such a way that I've never been under anybody's thumb, but open to anybody if they want to talk issues and policies. I've been a chairman. Uh, I was first a chairman, I think, in the redistricting session of, of 2011, and neither David Dewhurst nor Dan Patrick have ever made a made any conditions, things that I had to do if I was going to be a chairman. Doesn't mean that they were always pleased with the things I did, but there have never been preconditions. Yeah. Okay. So, Kel Seliger, let's talk about the talk of Texas right now. Twelve Democratic gains in the House. That would only <laughs> be rivaled by 2010 when there were, what, uh, 21 gains by Republicans in the House, and that I guess you could refer to it now as the Obama reaction or the Tea Party year there. Um, and then two swapped in the House, but 12 gains in the House. And then you had a Republican gain earlier in a special election down San Antonio and then across far west Texas. But two Democrats win last night. Lauren McGowey, we opened the show reading some of her piece in the Dallas Morning News that mm -hmm. you are... You've been a maverick, but now you're a well-positioned maverick. If, <laughs> if things are going to get to 19 on the Republican side, Seliger has to be on board. Um, do you think, and I tend to think I know what you're going to say, but do you count yourself now as the most influential senator in those chambers? No. Okay. No, and, and, and I've not sought to be the most influential person in the chambers. I want to be effective representing my district, and and you sort of use every tool that you have to do that, and and um, but it really doesn't change my focus as a member of the legislature. Okay, so you just think things remain the same, but you wouldn't uh, argue. Clearly, though, the Kel, dynamic is is different, Jay. Is, and and is, it's a dynamic that shifted in your favor. Well, yeah, but I'm not sure what that means when it shifted in my favor. Let's let's put it this way. The the lieutenant governor had 30 priorities in the last legislature. I voted for 28 of them. On the other two, 
if I if I am going to be a swing vote, would I have then been a deciding deal? Because they both pass, regardless of the fact that that I oppose them. Would that be different this time? Possibly. Okay. Um, again, for listeners just joining, Kel Seliger, Amarillo, and down one county like a barbell down one county along the New Mexico line takes in a huge swath of the Permian Basin. Midland, Odessa here with us now. What does what do you think? You just mentioned the Lieutenant Governor's 30 priorities last session. What do you think, Kel Seliger, are some of the Lieutenant Governor's soon-to-be priorities for a legislature that begins in January that he will not have Republican support for in the chamber? Uh, there were there were um, two Republicans who voted against the voucher bill. That looms very la- large. It doesn't loom as large as the participation of educators in this last election and what educators are liable to be able to influence in the next two years because a third of the Senate has got to run for election in two years. Um, when it comes to... How do, you lo- think, how do you think, before we get into the second part... How do you think educators influenced the last election? By going to vote. For whom? Well, in this in this part of the state, they voted for me. Okay. All right. And I think they had a lot to do with the two elections in the Metroplex that were lost. A lot of teachers down there, they are finally getting mobilized, and instead of, of complaining about what comes out of Austin, they've decided to be active or proactive about it, and I think they've made a big difference, and they should. The other thing is is local officials. County judges and, and uh, city, uh, city council members and mayors who are talking to people about who are the advocates for local control and smaller government and legislature, I think that that had a lot to do with, with uh, those two votes in the, the Metroplex, people who are avowed opponents of local control and uh, and local schools, and I think it made a big difference. I think it did in this area. I think it made a big difference in my primary. Hmm. Uh, Kel Seliger, let me, let me go into that a little bit further here. Um, it seems like you're saying right now that you are a hard no on vouchers in the 86th, that you're a hard no on tax caps and overreaches on local control going into the 86th. When we talk about, I voted for a, a an education savings account at one point, which is not really a voucher because it's not money that comes from uh, the foundation school program. But the voucher bill that we saw last time was taking money out of public schools, going with students with no accountability. Yeah, I'm a no. Yeah. What do you... Uh... And let's talk about let's talk about revenue caps for local control. The people of the city of Lubbock can have their tax rates cut in half. All they have to do is find out who the people are who are going to cut them in half and vote for them. Vote the current city council out of office. But the people in London in Lubbock and in Amarillo and Midland have been voting for for incumbents who have not been cutting taxes in half. To expect the legislature to do what we as local voters could do, I, I just don't think that's—I don't think that's reasonable. I think it's big government at its worst. 
yeah, an inversion there. Of course, he's referring to tax caps, which give local governments uh, for them to go beyond a certain amount. My understanding, the governor already has a sponsor, a Democrat, no less, in the House, uh, to put up a bill for 2.5% cap uh, to get voter approval first uh, before you go beyond that 2.5%. Uh, that's kind. Of, that's a trick, though. That's okay. because I believe that they want people to think that the four percent that passed the Senate last time is really a bonus, and so that's it's designed to do that. Uh, two two percent doesn't keep up with inflation. We don't let we don't let the federal government cap what we can raise as as sales taxes go up, mm-hmm. or cap what we can raise with 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 severance tax or things like that. And if they did, what? How loud would the would the outcry be? Oh my gosh, it, it would be a it would be a a, a terrible outcry, Washington justified in this. because of 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 the claims of big government. That's what this is: is big government. I'm opposed to big government. Yeah, and here's my thing with the whole the whole tax cap thing. It's what the other side will say is let locals decide. And Kel, you of anybody in this state right now knows what happens whenever quote-unquote locals decide lots of outside money lots of generated campaigns lots of not locals well locals ultimately decide what with a hell of a lot of outside influence right oh sure that's exactly what would but that's the point shackleford county or anywhere else that's exactly what would happen shackleford's a good example of a county if they were to try and give their county employees a three percent raise and they needed to buy a new road grader or something, 2.5%, I don't think they could raise enough money to do it. They would have to take it to the voters. Yeah, and talk to listeners. Let's talk about the rural counties for just a moment because we can talk about these issues in such a way that it's organic. Whenever the urban counties talk about it, and this isn't a knock, but it sounds like AstroTurf. It sounds like something the Chamber of Commerce wrote up. But <laughs> but in the in the rural counties, there's a real concern about bankruptcy if you know if these caps are put on because they're commodity driven counties explain to listeners what a commodity driven county how it could that cap could hurt them because it's so volatile the income from year to year well it it fluctuates and it's certainly in agricultural counties it, that doesn't really yield all that much money and uh that their their ability to raise money is very limited. In this case, I would use Palmer County as as a good example. If the people in Palmer County want to cut their taxes, they can go and and very very few signatures on a petition. They can have a charter election in a county like Palmer or Shackelford. They can limit their taxes to two percent or one percent, or never have an increase at all in property taxes. We can do all that locally. To take the attitude that we really don't want to go to the polls or be active in our communities, we'll just have the legislature do it. I don't think is, I don't think is a good way to do it. And I say that as a former local official who had to run for office every two years. Make no mistake, every election is a tax election, and if you reelect your incumbents, you are voting for the taxes that they impose, the ones that they change or they don't change. I used to think that uh, before Regent Gate there at Texas Tech, I, I <laughs> used to think that you were my favorite uh, former Amarillo mayor. 
Are you firing me? Then I met Jerry Hodge. Um, Let's talk about something that Hodge is concerned about for just a bit. And I want to bring in what I argue is newfound influence, newfound leverage for Kel Seliger. Uh Uh-oh. Lots of people know that inside those chambers, uh, amongst the members out on the floor, there's a lot of horse trading that goes on. I'll, I'll get you this horse, you get me my horse, and uh, we'll split even or we'll make up down the road. Um, there are more horses in your stable now, Kel Seliger. Do you intend to leverage some of that for the vet school? How high is the vet? Let me ask it a better way. How what priority one two three four five through ten where does the vet school fall the texas tech vet school fall on your priority list oh i would say in the middle of that range okay why just the middle well because first and foremost is is the budget overall and uh public education we need to start on on a road to having a new public education system uh, we need to do something about Robin Hood. You're talking about school finance. Yes. Okay. In in higher education, there's another couple of issues. Overall uh, uh, funding and what we call the higher education fund, which is a big priority for me. But that is a fund that does for what the what the permanent university fund does for Texas A&M and University of Texas. The HEFE fund, the higher education fund, does that for Texas Tech and and Midwestern State and, and Stephen F. Austin. And so the um, the vet school, I think, is a priority, and I intend to go about that from day one because the, the budget is going to be a Senate bill. Uh, Senator Perry and I are going to push the, um, the the veterinary school as best that we can and and hopefully get help from from our colleagues around the state. Uh, question coming in asking me why I'm saying that you have newfound position. I don't know if they just started listening or not, but you have been a Maverick vote already and given Tuesday night's returns, it puts you in an even greater position to be the make or break on whether or not you need 19 to get to the floor. If Seliger says no and they can't find a Democrat to replace them, then it doesn't get to the floor. Um, Just within the mid-range then on vet school that you're going to look out for higher education as a whole and public education before then i would say so yeah but keep in mind that a lot of this is at tech's discretion too because for for the remaining monies tech can always say that they're going to take some of their money some more of their money and tech has made some commitments too and inject some more money in it i would prefer that um, from the existing funding model that tech direct their funds to program and 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 things like that, and that that we address this as as what we call an exceptional or extra item. There's a couple of different ways to get where we need to go. Okay, so for folks who, and sorry, we're taking a little bit long here, Kel, but right okay. now we're in budget season, heading into the legislature. You got the legislative budget board meeting. There's there's already a lot of discussion going on with where what goes where uh, for a budget that will be voted on within the session. The only constitutional priority of a session is to get that that balanced budget there. Um, right. How much money is going in for the vet school initially? 
I think right at the moment it's uh, seventeen, eighteen million dollars is is I, I believe what I'm prepared to to go to Senate Bill One. Of course, I'll discuss that with Senator Perry. Yeah, and that's for operations, correct? Construction money's there. I don't know exactly what that's going for. I think that may be, be to kick off program or things like that. I just um, I I don't know exactly where it's how it's been uh, earmarked. And what do you make? I don't know if you've been in this position, but, well, I think you have with Smithy, John Smithy and Amarillo, uh-huh. a lot of people saying that the two leading names for, and, you know, we, we're broadcasting from where we're broadcasting, mm-hmm. um, two leading names, Drew Darby and for Price, two men who I would think you're very close with, uh, but Price out of Amarillo do you get involved in that process? Do you go try to um, pick off votes for four price? Not a bit. Not a bit. You that's, stay out that's, of it that's, that's the House's business, and I'm not much concerned with what they think of Senate rules and procedures, and I don't think they ought to be much concerned with what I think. The thing about four price from Amarillo and Drew Darby from, from San Angelo is they're from West Texas. And and they are two guys that that are dedicated to this part of the state. It's not that they want anything for West Texas that that we want to take from anyone else in the state of Texas. They just want to make sure that those of us in West Texas don't get left out, hmm. both in terms of, of budget and policy, because when it comes to things like transportation, there's an awful lot of people in Austin that can gladly and easily leave out West Texas in favor of the I-35 corridor. Yeah. Uh, that answer that you just gave about not being concerned about the House's affairs sounds almost like a state rep saying, I'm not in charge of potholes there in the city. That's, uh, that's pretty good there, Kel. Um, well, it's, I've been a mayor. I really didn't care what my representative thought about potholes in Amarillo. <laughs> that was my well, job. All right. What, what else, Kel? Give me some. Well, give me some. That's all. I, I, you know, I read the article in in the Dallas Morning News, and I thought it was pretty well written. It just talks about the pure numbers, though. It doesn't talk about motivation and and motives and and things like that. And uh, I, 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 there's nothing I really like. I say, I I have really not sought any kind of power like that. I just want the ability to represent my district in West Texas. That's it. You being the face of independence in the chambers right now, Mm -hmm. you saw the returns. You saw the statewides coming back at, um, you saw two of your super conservative peers go down. You saw the statewides come back at 6%. Statewides not needing Greg Abbott or uh, Glenn Hager. Right. But even the presiding officer of your chamber, right there at six percent, does that put a little more, a little more gusto? Does that give you a little more gusto whenever people get down on you and say, "Yeah, well," uh, and and also I would be remiss not to cite. I hope I still have it. The, I mean, Jason Vialba, former House member, said if you invested a dollar in empowered Texans. Your stock's now worth 22 cents, given the money that they put into races across the state. I mean, you have to feel like you were right all along today, Kel Seliger. I think I was right. Jason Vialba is, is, was a really smart Latino Republican. 
Empower Texans, worked really hard to get him beaten by a far right winger by the name of Lisa Luby Ryan, and she managed to lose a good Republican seat to a Democrat. Where were we helped there? Uh, let's look at something here, and I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this. That if you look at the the number of votes that Greg Abbott got as opposed to Lieutenant Governor Patrick, I think when I went to bed the other night, it was about 200,000 people. There's not a lot of crossover and things like that, so it makes it look like a couple hundred thousand probably Republicans voted for Greg Abbott and yet did not vote for Republican Lieutenant Governor. Why? You know, you can look at all the reasons, and maybe I think maybe that's local control in public education, too. But here's the question, Jay, and, and Lieutenant Governor has some smart people, and he uses good pollsters. Are they rationalizing it or saying, wait a minute, what are we doing to, to lose Republicans, most of whom are conservative, but are voting for Greg Abbott and not me? What does that mean? And so and we'll have a chance to discuss it, more than likely. You and him will have a chance to discuss yeah, it? Yeah, we meet as in a caucus, all the Republicans, the lieutenant governor, and, and it's a it's a pretty so wide-ranging and free conversation. It sounds like your conversation there is that those results would lead to change behavior, and you don't know if there will be change behavior, maybe just some rationalizing about what had happened. That's potential. I would always warn against that, no matter who you are. And and you, you, when you look at when I win, what does it mean? I mean, wh- where's the message? And, and clearly, in my case, that because I've been represented as something less than a conservative by Empower Texans, it was easy to find people to uh, to run against me. Not very, not very good ones. Not very convincing ones. Was Patrick? Do you feel like you were running against Dan Patrick? in your primary no very intensely not because when i spoke with him early on he said he wasn't going to get involved in my race and there's no evidence in any way shape or form that he did Uh, you know in a private conversation did he tell somebody that he might want victor leal from amarillo maybe but there's no evidence that that happened and nobody has told me any differently uh 2.25 million spent and uh, Empower Texans' return was only 486000 in winning races. Kel Seliger, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate yeah. your time. Let me point out that those guys like Tim Dunn and Midland have so much money, Jay, yeah. that does not matter. The only thing that matters is winning. It's just play money. Yeah. Well, uh, we got you some good outro music. Uh, Kel <laughs> Seliger, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Look forward to it again. Okay. Uh, got to get out and get to a commercial. Kel Silger walking into the Senate chambers. What's up, guys? <laughs> That's good stuff. Hey, we're going to get out and uh, get into a break and then come back in and break down tomorrow's show. Ought to be a good one. Stick right with us here on the other side. Yeah, um, Texian had the Happy Warrior, and uh, some 
questioning whether or not I don't have time to get into them all because we're going to close out here some questioning the tax caps um, let Amarillo decide uh, some of those coming in appreciate you guys listening in Amarillo but there's no doubt about I, I think <coughs> I think that Kel Seliger is really good at play, underplaying his hand and for a guy he had probably the toughest primary in Texas and he had two guys going against him one out of Midland and then one out of Amarillo both adherents to the same groups the same outside interest groups and it still walked away barely walked away in that primary and now a lot of Amarilloans a lot of people across the golden spread um, a place that's never been told no uh, it's always stood up for itself I mean I, t I tell the story often in 1964 like Amarillo was cool before Republicanism was cool in 1964 there were 16 counties in Texas that went for Barry Goldwater eight of them were spread throughout the state eight more were all in the panhandle and they have a story history of republicanism but also of not knee-jerking into a as I said earlier a conservatism that doesn't conserve their place and uh, that's why I'm fascinated with Amarillo folks that's uh, a storied history. Hey, listen, I'm going to get home. I believe Brandon Darby will be on with us tomorrow, trying to snag um, a good interview in there, maybe snag Arrington, seeing what we can do. Congressman Arrington talk about working in the minority and the way forward there in Washington. But until then, I'm going to get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner, and math homework. <clears throat> which I've come to love. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Until uh, tomorrow. Rave on, buddies. Rave on. You got any news? Any tips you want us to cover? Anything you want us to look into? Jay at OthersideOfTexas.com. We'll see you next time right here. AM580 and OthersideOfTexas.com. It's who we want to be, belly up and just make it, and two-step on.